think it's it's possibly as old as Genesis, the book itself. Job was a God-fearing, righteous man, and the story has to do with Satan doubting this, and so God allowed Satan to test him or let God allow him to be tested. But to make the story a little shorter, in the very beginning of Job, for some reason, the Holy Spirit, which is involved in all of these books, tells you that Job had 3,000 camels, 3,000 goats, 3,000 cattle, 3,000 whatever. He had all these cattle. That was the that was the means of wealth at that time was your livestock. And right. they listed all of his livestock, but by number, 3,000 roughly. <clears throat> like like 3,000 basically is what it said, I think. But it also said that Job had uh, five sons and two daughters. He had seven children. Well, throughout the book of Job, there's a lot of things to study there that someday we might do that, but that's part of it. But Job persists through all of his torments, uh, even his health. He lost, he lost all his animals, all his livestock in one day. And in the same day, his, all his children died. They were together basically celebrating something and a storm came up. We might call it a tornado and they all got killed. So he lost everything. So he and his wife had lost everything, all his wealth and all their children. Right. Well, he, he goes through this long period of testing that God allows to prove to Satan that he is his righteous man. And Job survives it all. And he never curses God. And he always basically says, God, I love you. You can kill me. And preferably he says, I wish you would, but I love you no matter what. And I'll live with whatever you want me to do. Well, at the end of Job, God restores Job to his health and he goes out of his way in the, in the, in the word, the Holy spirit tells you that God doubled his goats. He now has 6,000. He had 6,000 camels, 6,000 head of cattle, et cetera. He doubles all of his animals. And it also says he gave, he and his wife, seven children, seven more children. And I've had people ask me, well, if he doubled all the livestock, why didn't he double the children? And I've always said tongue in cheek because God wasn't that mad at his wife. But, <laughs> <laughs> right. but, that's, but that's not the message you can share with your friend. The reason why, if you look at it carefully, why God only gave him seven children, he lost the goats. He lost the cattle. He lost all of them. So he doubled them. He only replaced the children because he didn't lose those children. Right. Oh, they, were, right. they were, they were God's wow. children and they were, right. they were with the Lord. So someday wow. Job, so someday Job and his wife would go to be with the Lord. And then they had 14 children. <laughs> right. So that's, that's something that you can share with her when she's grieving is that I know you're hurting, but you haven't lost him. You just temporarily will not be with him until you pass. So as long as she's a Christian and he was a Christian, they will be reunited. She is, and they will. It also in the Old Testament, David was the first true king of the Jews. He was God's appointed king, and he was a great king, but he was human. He saw Bathsheba taking a bath on top of the roof, which were people did that. And he decided he wanted her, so he went far, sent somebody to get her. And you know the story, they had an affair. And then he got her pregnant and then David went out of his way, trying to get the husband to come back from battle. So he could say that the child is yours. Well, God didn't allow that. And David finally in his desperation wound up having the man killed well, later. The prophet comes to David and chastises him for what he did. Chris muted me. I don't know if he was tired of my story or whatever. But anyway, the prophet came to David and said, and, and confronted David. So David confessed his sin 
and God told him, I'm not going to kill you. I'm not going to, I'm, I am not going to take your life. It, but there was some things, basically he told David, but there are consequences for your sin. And for one thing, he told David, there will always be problems in your family. Another story. But when the, but, but he said, your child with Bathsheba will die. Well, David instantly started praying for the child and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed, wouldn't eat, wouldn't do anything. But finally, when the child died, his servants came to him and they told him that the child had died. And to their amazement, they were, they didn't know what he'd do. David said, okay, bring me some food, bring me some clothes basically let's go about life. And they want to ask him, well, how do you, how do you accept this so easily? And David said that that child cannot come to me, but I can go to him. Same thing twice in the Bible. It tells you that you don't lose your children, that when you get to heaven, you, you will see, be reunited with your children, no matter what children, under what circumstance that you lost them, you're going to meet them again when you get to heaven. So you can share those stories if you like with, uh, with your friend. Hello, Andrew and Chris. Hey guys, how are you? We just talking about being reunited with kids. There's, yep, there's, mine. there's one. <laughs> yeah, I finally got him home. He's wild. Oh, good. Yeah. He's a, he's a blessing. I, I'm yeah. so glad it's over. And so, or it's not quite over, but. I'm really glad to have him home. Well, good. It's been a long time. Bro. It's been a long process for you. But I told you at the end, it'll all work out, didn't I? Uh, yes, sir. Love them while you can. They'll all turn oh, yeah. into teenagers. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you don't have a clue. You don't have a clue. <laughs> uh, teenagers, teenagers are God's uh, uh, means of getting even with us when we were young. We all had our problems when we were young. I agree with that 100%. I got one that's, uh, I got a girl that's, uh, she'll be 12 this year in October. Oh, Lord. And she's yeah. so beautiful, too. Like, oh, oh man. yeah. Uh, they're even at 12, they're so sweet. But something happens about 16. I don't know what it is. I think their brain cells just stop communicating with each other. They, they get all shorted out and they don't communicate very well. It takes yeah. a few years for them to be able to communicate again. Yes, sir. Chris, are we waiting for someone else? No, you're good right now. Uh, I just had somebody turn around that they lost their phone when they're clearing out the land and they weren't <laughs> able to make it in today. So he's trying to text me off his friend's phone. So, well, if they could, if they if they come in, they'll join. They can join in later. Mm -hmm. uh, let's let's all start this properly, and this let me say a prayer for us. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity that we can meet together as Christians to study your word and to seek your face. Father, as you know, I have nothing to say. And I ask that you quicken the Holy Spirit that lives in me and have him speak through me so this time is not wasted and that this message is of value to someone, Father. As I know, as you know, there's no coincidences this is predestined and preordained before the foundation of the earth that we would join together tonight to study your word. And I ask that it's a blessing that you go before us to bless this time. I ask you to bless these individuals, to bless their lives, to change their lives, to bring them blessings that they can't even imagine and to show them that you love them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The message that I'm going to cover tonight I put this in my notes a little over two years ago. I was at a, uh, took my granddaughters to a uh, church gathering at a town, not too far from here. They were just teenagers and it was kind of a family night and uh, they had a speaker and he, he spoke and uh, it was, he, he did a pretty good job. I wasn't, you know, it wasn't that great, but he did a good job. And I left there. I was thinking if the opportunity arises, Lord, I'd like to speak to these kids. And so I sat down and did my notes on one of the most common and well-known verses in the Bible, which is John 3.16, which I'll read to you later. And uh, I wrote it and nothing came of it. 
and I wondered about it. Why did you, Lord, why did you have me do this? Uh, I'm waiting for an opportunity to share it. And you guys are how he's chosen for me to share this. So I hope that this is uh, uh, valuable to you. This may be the most important message in your life if you're in the right circumstance. Uh, we'll see. That's up to the Lord, not me. But it's about what God did and about his love for you. You know, as a Christian, as a young Christian, and don't you think you're unique in some of your problems dealing with who God is? For example, who is this Jesus? His original Hebrew name is Yeshua, Y-E-S-H-U-A, Yeshua. Uh, he, we gave him the name Jesus when we finally invented the letter J in the 14th century. But we, as he said, you can call me Jesus. Everybody does. But his real name in Hebrew is Yeshua, Yeshua Amashiach, which means uh, Jesus, the Messiah, Christ, the Messiah. But that's a mute point. But that pointed that out. But who is this Jesus? Is he God? Is he man? Is he both? He died for our sins. What's that mean? You know, you think about it. We've all been there. We know that we were told that Jesus died for our sins on the cross and that he arose and he's in heaven with God today. But why the crucifixion? You know, crucifixion is one of the most horrible ways for any individual to die. It can take days for someone to linger on that cross with the nails through their wrist and through their feet. It's a long process and a terribly painful process. And it's been described by physicians how horrible it is. But, you know, you and I'm thinking the same thing. Well, there are other horrible ways to die. Some of you people, guys, have been in the military. You've seen some people die horrible deaths. So what's, you, what's so unique about the crucifixion? And some of my notes, when you look back at them, it's, and what's so unusual about someone dying? Well, the crucifixion on the hill in Judea and a host of other things that Christ did was all fulfilled prophecies. These things were mentioned in the Old Testament. Just to give you one example, crucifixion, was, wasn't invented until 900 years or, uh, later. Crucifixion was mentioned in the Old Testament to be, be, nailed to a wooden, to be nailed to a tree, which is depicting crucifixion. That process of punishment was not invented for 900 years after that verse in the Old Testament. So it's all fulfilled prophecy. Christ did what he did because it was, it was prophesied and there's a purpose for all of that. And it'll take us lots of meetings together for me to totally describe what, what those prophecies were and what he fulfilled. But again, as a human being, is this, who is this Christ? Is he, you know, I, I believe, I choose to believe he's the son of God. I choose to believe he is God, but I choose to also recognize he's a man. So what's that mean? So let me give you a story that I was told years ago. I believe it was a true happening in a man's life. Let's call him John. John was a Christian and he was struggling with, with his prayers, asking God to reveal himself to him and, and to reveal to him who Jesus is and what Jesus actually did for him. Well, in a dream one night, God came to John and took him by the hand, and he asked him, John, can I show you my creation? John says, yeah, Lord, yes, Lord, I'll be glad to go. So he took him by the hand, and they, they leave the room, they leave the roof, they leave the atmosphere, and they're leaving the earth behind, and they're flying through the universe. And God's showing him stars by the thousands. He's showing him nebulas, black holes, and thousands of thousands of other wonders in his beautiful creation in the universe. Well, as they're going through the universe, John notices that they're getting closer to a planet, a small planet. It's a, as they get closer, John sees it's a beautiful planet. It's green. It's got oceans and mountains and beautiful trees. But as he gets closer and closer to this planet, 
John notices that it's inhabited not by man, but it's inhabited by dogs, not just puppies. He's talking about Doverman pinchers. He's talking about Rottweilers. He's talking about Mastiffs. He's talking about Great Danes, big, vicious dogs. And these dogs are tearing at each other, tearing each other to pieces, just chewing on each, each other, trying to kill each other. John looks to the Lord, the Father, and says, Lord, why are you showing me this? He says, I want you to see this planet and its inhabitants. And John says, why are they so mean to each other? Why are they so cruel? God said, John, because they're basically evil and they become more and more evil each day. That's just their nature. John said, okay, Lord. God says, John, can I ask you a favor? He says, yeah, what you want, Lord? He says, I want you to know that I love those dogs. I love those dogs. I want you to go and tell those dogs that I love them. John says, okay, father, I trust you. I'll do anything you want me to do. God says, well, John, you don't understand for you to go tell them that I love them. You have to become a dog to communicate with them. John says, all right, I'll do whatever you want. Lord. God says, well, John, another small problem. You have to go as an innocent meek dog. So I'm going to send you as a teacup chihuahua. John's a little shocked by that. And he says, okay, Lord, I'll do what you asked me to do. I love you. I'll go do it. He says, well, John, you don't understand. Most of those dogs are not going to accept your message that I love them. Most of them will not accept it. And to make matters worse, they're going to tear you to pieces and they're going to kill you, John. Well, John's a little shocked over that. And he says, okay, father, I trust you. And father said, don't worry, John, they will kill you. But after a few days, I'm going to resurrect you and you're going to come live with me forever. John said, wow. He was really, thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for doing that for me. And he said, one more thing, John, you need to understand you will always be a chihuahua. Now we think of that, that this John had to step down from being a man. And we think man's pretty high. You know, we're pretty good. We had to step down and become a teacup chihuahua for the rest of eternity. Jesus himself, God, the father, Jesus and the Holy spirit are what we call the Trinity. They're one. God let his son, which we'll explain in a minute, he had, he came to, to, to tell you and me on this earth, the message that I love you and that I'm willing to save you from what you so richly deserve. But you have to understand Jesus is in heaven and he's still a man. He'll always be a man. Now we, you realize how, what you would have to do to step down to be a chihuahua. What Jesus had to step down to in order to save us is a far greater step than you and I becoming a chihuahua. And he'll always be a man. And that's not a bad thing. He'll always be a man. When he died on the cross, we, we know he died on the cross. If any of you have seen the, the passion of Christ, <clears throat> the whipping and the beating was so intense that he was unrecognizable. Uh, Chuck Missler told me, or in his message, is that it, it implies in the scripture they ripped his beard off his face, and you can imagine what that did to his skin and to his to his face. He was unrecognizable. He was beaten so bad. And one thing that you need to understand is when you get to heaven, when you're with the Father, there will only be one thing that's man-made in heaven. And that's the scars on your savior. The only man-made thing in heaven are the scars on the, on your savior, because you will see him as the lamb, the sacrificed lamb. When you get to see him in heaven. Now that brings us to the most recognizable, most likely verse in the Bible. 
again, before I do that, you need to understand Jesus dying is not so remarkable. The fact that he died for our sins is hard to understand, but you understand what makes it special is that he is, he arose from the dead. Every man that's ever born, every woman that's ever been born, they all die, but only Jesus is still alive today. Yeah. Lazarus was risen, was raised from the, from the crypt and he was alive once again, but Lazarus died again. Jesus arose and he's still alive. And you know what his job is tongue in cheek in heaven. He's and sitting at the right hand of the father interceding for you and me. When we screw up, when we fall into whatever problem we fall into, God is disappointed. I always envision Jesus saying, Father, but he belongs to me. I died for his sins. And I not only died for his past sins, I died for the sin he just committed. So the Father can accept you. That's what Jesus is doing. The Bible says he is interceding for you every day. The most common verse in the Bible that I can remember as a child, and maybe for most of you, is John 3.16. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's one of the first verses as a, as a, as a child, if you're raised in a church, that you memorize. Is that verse. But again, what does it mean? What does that verse mean? I'm going to try to describe this verse almost word for word to put it in terms that you and I can better understand. The first word is for. That means because. Because God so loved. So loved. So loved implies really, really, really loved. He, he loved the world. Hey, that word world doesn't mean the earth. He has an, he has an affinity for the earth, but that world word world is not dirt. It's not trees. It's not mountains. That world is you and me. He so loved us. Every man on this earth. He so loved us. That's the world that he gave Gave means he had to give up something. He gave something. He literally sacrificed something because he so loved you. He had to give up something. What did he give up? He gave his only begotten son. Now, what's that only begotten son mean? That's his only son that was born of man. Now, back up a minute. You got to understand. Now, you can't understand this, but the concept is God Jesus and the Holy Spirit are one. It's called the Trinity. Now, it's hard to explain the Trinity. At, at my age, it's hard to get around. But if someone said, well, you, might, you might look at the Trinity as a math problem. One plus one plus one equals one. Well, that this doesn't compute too well, does it? Look at it this way. One times one times one equals one. They're all in the same, but they're in different forms. God, the father, Jesus, and the Holy spirit in the old Testament in Genesis, it talks about the Elohim. God is referred to as the Elohim, which is a plural. That's a plural word. We, when they, when the tower of Babel was created, Elohim, we looked at this tower and decided it, we needed to do something about it. It's the, it's a Trinity. Jesus, the man, Jesus has always been with God, the father in John, the book of John, he says, everything that was made was made for him and by him. And he is the word. Jesus has always been with the father before this, before the foundation of the earth, he was with the father. Well, he so loved this earth that he created, which means you and me, that he was willing to give up himself. He, he, he provided a sacrifice that would redeem you and me. The sacrifice has to be innocent. The concept that we can't get our hands around either is that Jesus was perfect. 
I don't know about you. I've never been perfect. Once you reach the age of accountability, which eight or nine or 10 years old, you ever, you ever watch the child, they, 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 they lose their innocence pretty quick when they start conniving to hurt their brother or sister or whatever, lie to you. That's just the sin nature we're born with. Jesus was God's son that had to be changed into a man. And then to do that, he had to, he had to be his only begotten son. Begotten refers to, you know, Adam begot Cain and Seth begot, begot. That's, uh, that's being born of man. Well, Mary was a virgin, and that's the truth. And I've heard people who don't believe in that or people try to explain that. Well, well so they say, well, we can clone people now, so it was just a clone. Well, if Mary had been cloned, Jesus would have been a woman. The father, the man in a relationship, provides the chromosome that determines whether it's male or female. God himself did whatever he did through the Holy Spirit to quicken the egg in Mary to produce the baby that would be called our Christ, Jesus. His can, only begotten can, son. He hasn't done it since then. Yes. Can, can I ask you a question right there? Sure, sure. So in Jesus's uh, younger times, whenever he was a kid, I know he teached in, in, a, in, a, in the, uh, the synagogue. It, in the synagogue as a child and everything, but I mean, like in a time of when he was young, young, to till he done that, was he like where was he? Like was he, he was, in the town? Uh, he was, you know, he was born a baby, and he had all the all the attributes of a baby. He wet his he wet his britches, scrapped his pants, and cried when he hurt and when he wanted something to eat because he's still innocent. The difference yeah. was is that he never had a sin nature like you and I had. He had the ability because he was the, he was conceived by God the Father that he didn't have that sin nature. Why was that necessary? Because in order for God to provide the final sacrifice for sin, which the Jews had been trying to do for thousands of years by killing sheep bulls and other animals on the altar, yet the lamb was always considered the perfect sacrifice, especially for the high priest himself, because it was an innocent. If you've been around baby goats and baby sheep, you know how cute they are. They're so innocent. The lamb is innocent. It's spotless. It has no flaw. Well, God had to provide a spotless man. Boy, that was a tough job to find one of those. But Jesus was spotless and without sin. Why? So he could fulfill the requirements in order for God to redeem you and me and talk about a year's worth of study is to explain to you that this was this idea God knew about before Adam and Eve sinned. He knew he'd lose this earth, but it was, it was, there was an agreement made a document, a scroll in heaven, which showed how he could reclaim what he lost. And part of the most important part of that document was to provide a kinsman redeemer, another man that could be sacrificed himself. God would sacrifice a part of himself in order to fulfill that requirement. So, and that's pretty complicated, but that's not really the point here, but God did it because Jesus was the only one who could do that. No other man ever since or ever again can fulfill what Christ did in order to, to, to for God to reclaim the earth. We say it doesn't appear God's reclaimed the earth right now. It's his. He has fulfilled it all. Remember the last thing that Jesus basically said on the cross? To tell, tell, it is finished. I can't get the Greek words. Testeletai or whatever. It is finished. It's the term that was used in the prisons in Rome that once a prisoner fulfilled his time, it was stamped on a piece of paper, testeletai or whatever. It is finished. His sentence is finished. When Jesus said that word, it's finished, basically. He's saying, I have fulfilled everything that is required. He, at that point, this is God's place. It is his world, but he's yet to come and claim it. That's another lesson we'll talk about, about what God's going to do in the end days when Jesus returns to this earth. When Jesus came the first time, he came as a savior, a gentle lamb. Trust me. When Jesus comes back the next time, he's going to have an attitude. There's going to be a price to pay. Joni and I talked about that last week, son. 
privately that it's a, and we'll talk about it sometime, but that's what God did. Now with Jesus, let me see where I am on all my notes here. I get distracted. That's under, that's understandable. I appreciate it. I always wondered about that. Like, I don't know if there was like a time period to where, you know, I know that he uh, appeared in white when we got uh, baptized by John the Baptist. But mm-hmm. like what happened before that? So I was just curious. Yeah. In that, in that case, Jesus was fulfilling the requirements, uh, the forgiveness of sin through repentance, although he had nothing to repent of, but then he did his sacrifice and he arose from the dead, from the grave three days later. Have you ever heard my favorite song of all time is he's alive. And my favorite time I ever heard it's when Dolly Parton sang that many years ago and they open up the curtains and the Mormon tabernacle choir is behind her. That song is the story of Peter. Remember Peter, if you do remember, Peter denied Christ. He was afraid when Christ got arrested and Jesus told him before the cock crows, before morning, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter said, no way. I'm not going to do that. I can't, I'll never do that. Well, he did. And that song is a song depicting the emotional trauma that Peter went through. And if you, if you recognize that, that's a story of Peter. And sometime I can explain to you basically what Peter was going through. That song's about Peter. It's Peter who is crying out. He's alive and I'm forgiven. Thank God, Jesus. That's the story of Peter. That's my favorite song. Uh, Okay. The Trinity, like I said, the best way mathematically to explain that is one times one times one still equals one. No one else can do that. You can't even, to give up your, how, how, what did God have to do emotionally to do what he did? Some of you are, maybe many of you have got children, that little, that little child I saw a while ago. Can you even conceive of the possibility that you'd be willing for that child to die for someone else? Well, we can't, we can't do it. We can't comprehend it. We can't comprehend it. Sometime we have time. I'll explain the story of uh, Abraham who was willing to sacrifice his only son. And I'll explain why that's not such a amazing thing after all, but that's another story to be told, but only but God to give up his only begotten son. Yeah. He knew that he would resurrect him. He knew he'd always be with him, but there's something in that. That is a great sacrifice. God had to give him up to become a man and to become a man forever. And he had to give up that child willingly Jesus in order to save you and me, because I, I don't know if I could have, I don't know if I could say I've got a, uh, I've got a son and I'm going to let him die for someone else. That's, that would be hard to get your mind around. Only God could do that. Because Jesus is not only a man, he's God himself. I'll read some of my notes that he gave up what he was and became a man forever, like that chihuahua in the dream, that he did this to tell you that God the Father loves you individually, that he gave up his life as an innocent man as a sacrifice for your sins and my sins, that he did this for you because you could not do it, and he's the only one that could. You could not justify your sin, that he died, but he also was resurrected like the chihuahua in the dream that he is alive today at the right hand of God, the father in heaven, and he's interceding for your sins and my sins, past, present, and future. That he is with God, the father, as a man, as he was a sacrificed innocent lamb. Like I said, when you get to heaven, you'll see the scars on his face. You'll see the scars on his wrist and the scars on his feet. And you'll see the scar in the side where he was pierced by the sword. Why is that important? So you'll know who you're with and you'll know who he is. And Jesus is the reason and the only reason that you and I can be in the presence of God, the father. The old Testament says that God cannot be in the presence of sin. He is so righteous. He can't be in the presence of sin. So how can you and I, be in the throne room 
worshiping God the Father unless there's something been done to allow that. And that's called Jesus. Because he died for your sins, the analogy you always hear at church is he shed his blood for you. He covered you with his blood. As I've said before, when I get to heaven, I always envision that Jesus is going to take me by the hand and say, Dale, I want you to meet the father. So he takes me into the throne room and I'm so amazed. I can't imagine. Remember the song? I, I, I can only imagine that I'll hide behind Jesus because I'm afraid because I know the father is so holy. And the God will look and then look to Jesus and said, who's that with you? He said, that's Dale. He said, but father, he's mine. I died for him. So from, so when Jesus, when God, the father sees me in heaven, and when he sees you, when you get there, you know who he sees? He sees his son. He sees his only son because you're a man and he loves you and he'll see you and you'll be in that presence. Now, Another lesson sometime down the road, I'll explain to you the best I can what heaven's all about. Uh, many people think heaven is, you know, on cloud nine strumming a harp. If that's the case, you don't want to be anywhere near my cloud because I can't strum a harp. And if I could, it's going to make your ears hurt. So that's not exactly what heaven's going to be like. And it's a lot, it's pretty simple, but I'll explain it to you sometime. But that's, that's the explanation of what John three sixteen is. For God so loved the world, you and I, that he gave up his only begotten son so that whoever believeth in him, who's the him? Who's the topic of that him? It's Jesus. You believe in Jesus. What's that mean? I choose to believe that Jesus is the son of God. I choose to believe predestined and preordained by the scriptures that he sacrificed himself on a wooden cross on a hill that he even created in order to find a way for my sins to be forgiven with the father. I choose to believe that. And if you choose to believe that, that Jesus is the son of God and that he died for your sins and that he arose from the dead and that he's in heaven now waiting for you and me and interceding for you and me, that is the, the gospel in a nutshell. If you believe that you are a child of God and you are saved. If you've never said that, say it in your heart right now. Say it to someone else because Jesus said, if you'll confess me in front of man, I will confess you in front of the Father. Father, he or she is mine. They belong to me. Therefore, you're with them in heaven. That's all it means to be saved is to accept that Christ is the son of man, that he became a man in order to die on a cross, which you don't have to understand all the details to in order for you to be in the presence of God. Without that, there would be no heaven for you and me. And that's the, that is the nutshell of what the gospel is all about, that I believe that Christ is the son of God and that he died for my sins and that he arose from the dead and he's living today. That's the difference between all the other religions. Mohammed, no matter who Muhammad was, guess what? He's dead. Buddha, he's dead. All these other religions, they're dead. We worship a living God. And it, another little caveat, in, the, in, in, our, in our love for God, in our religion of Jesus, it's not about what you have to do. Only thing you have to do is to choose to love him and to accept him. That's the only thing. Do you have to live a perfect life? Well, he, he'd like for you to live a more perfect life, but uh, I don't know anybody can live a perfect life. We're not going to be perfect. But what, will I lose my salvation if I sin, if I fall back into my bad habits, into my drugs, into my attitudes? No, because he died for those sins too. It's not a religion of do what I have to do. We have a religion that's called done it's already been done. It was done on the cross 2000 years ago. It's a religion of done, not do. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to do the church thing. You don't have to be a Catholic and take the wafer and the grape juice or the wine and all those sacraments. That's about do. It's done. Christ has already done it. It's over with. All you have to do is wait to be with him. You know, there's times in our lives that I'll admit there's times I sit around and I say, oh, I got nothing to look forward to, but death itself. 
In a way, that's true. I'm looking forward to seeing him. I'm at a point in my life that I pray someday, if you're not already there, if God, I'm not afraid of dying. I trust my soul to him because I believe in him. It said, whoever believeth in him shall not perish, shall not die, but have everlasting life. Well, let's explain that. We're all going to die unless the rapture comes and he comes after us. There will be a unique group of people who will be caught up in the air with Jesus and they won't physically die. They'll be transformed. Well, that may or may not happen. I may be long gone before that happens, but I will die. But what he's saying, if you believe in Christ, you will not die the ultimate death, the final death, which is literally the separation from you and God. And you have no concept of how horrible that is. The scriptures depicts a lake of fire. They speak of hell and Hades, and those are different terms even. But the, I'm an old science teacher, and I'm going to give you an idea of what separation of God is. I've heard people jokingly say, well, if I go to hell, I'll be with all my friends. We'll have a good time. That isn't how it works. You, you've all seen the pictures and saw the movies of Hiroshima when the first nuclear bomb was dropped on people in Japan. That was a, that was a mass of uranium-238. It's a radioactive material. It's very unstable. It's so unstable that they were able to put those two masses together and it caused a reaction, a chain reaction, where they all started flying apart and blowing apart. It became a chain reaction where millions and millions and millions, billions of these atoms of uranium blew apart. And when they blew apart, they turned to energy, heat. That's what that great mass ball was in Hiroshima, was that just that small amount of uranium separating itself from each other when each atom. Can you imagine what it's going to be like? I'm jumping ahead of myself in our studies, but in after a thousand years, when Christ comes back, you and I will be with him on this dirty ball we call earth. And after a thousand years, he will do some other things and this earth will pass away. The heavens, the sun, the moon, the stars will all pass away in fervent heat. All it amounts to is the particles, atoms separate. The Bible's real clear to me that God holds, Jesus himself holds all things together. You take his word literally. Jesus holds the atoms in an element together. He holds the protons and the electrons and the neutrons together. Again, I'm an old science teacher, but you've all most likely studied the atom. There's, you know, the simplest atom, there's a proton and hydrogen, and there is a neutron and one little electron traveling around it uh, that's 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 a very small thing but you ever heard the relationship with your spouse that that opposites attract positive and negative have you ever taken two magnets a positive end and a negative end, and you try to put them together and they repel each other think about the atom of hydrogen or any atom of any element you get all these protons and neutrons uh, in the same same place well the protons neutrons don't have any charge but those protons are all positively charged how do they stay together there's a whole science dealing with that called quantum physics trying to explain why the nucleus of atoms don't simply fly apart so i can tell them because god holds them all together can you, you realize all God has to do for all of what we see and everything around us to pass away is just to release his hands that hold everything together and everything will pass away. And then he'll create a new earth and a new heaven and we'll live on that new earth for an eternity. And I'm jumping way ahead in Bible study lessons with you, but it, it's, 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 not, it's not simple, but it's not that complicated either. You just... Remember what I said the first time, Acts 17, 11. Don't you ever believe anything Dale has to tell you, but search the scriptures daily. Determine for yourself what is correct and what's not. Uh, it may take you 30 years, but I, I, most of the people I see on this screen have got 30 years left. If you want to start today, you can do that. But again, it's, it's not that there's, there's never been a conflict between true science and God's word. And that even includes the creation story in Genesis which 
later on, we can discuss that. But that basically concludes what I wanted to do today is to explain to you, John 3.16, that if you accept Christ as God and as your Savior to save you from your sins, you will not perish. It says, whosoever believeth in him, Jesus will not perish. Whosoever means anybody. I know at times in your life, you may say, well, Dale, I can't, I can't believe that because I certainly am. I have, I've done so many bad things. There's no way that I deserve that. It's not about deserve. He loves you that much. You remember the, I'm an old man. You remember Jeffrey Dahmer? He was the killer that ate his own victims. Well, they say that he found Christ in prison, which is not uncommon. And I've heard so many people say, well, God will never forgive him of that. Jeffrey Dahmer has not done anything that God couldn't forgive. And if he truly does, did believe that Christ was his savior, when you get to heaven, if you want to, God will introduce you to Jeffrey Dahmer. He won't be the same man. Something that I believe is Billy Graham said many years ago, no one goes to hell because of their sin. You go, what? No, you only go to hell because you reject the only way to avoid it. And that's the hand of Jesus. We're all born destined to enter an eternity separated from God because we're sinful and he can't be in the presence of sin. But through what he did with Christ, you can be. The only reason anybody goes to outer darkness forever separated, the outer darkness I'm describing after everything separates, you're, what makes you you is software. It's not hardware. Uh, the concept of things have changed. Now it's a, uh, uh, micro stick that you stick in your computer and it take all this data, thousands upon millions of bits of data. Well, if you weighed that little stick, the hardware, it weighs so many grams or ounce, whatever it is. After you load it up with thousands of dollars worth of software and all this information, its weight doesn't change. Software weighs nothing. It's your spirit that what makes you you, what makes you Andrew or Kevin or Chris or Howard or, or, or Joni. What makes you you is your software. That's your spirit. The body will grow old and you'll leave it behind. Uh, you better hope you do. I'm 71 and I'm not real crazy about taking this old body to heaven with me. I've done a real good job of wearing it out. You don't want that. And it won't be that way. But who makes me Dale will live forever. Who makes you you will live forever. The question is, where are you going to be forever? If you don't accept Christ, you're going to be in outer darkness. The Bible describes it as outer darkness. Think about it. You don't have any friends. You're in total darkness. There's nothing around you. There's no sense of anybody on anywhere around you. It's just you isolated in the total dark. Can you imagine how horrifying that would be? I was in Carlsbad Caverns many, many years ago, and they turned the lights out, and I couldn't see my hand in front of my face. And that was kind of fun for about 10 seconds. After that, it felt pretty uncomfortable. Can you imagine spending an eternity totally isolated, separated from everything, everything, period, and you, can, you can't even cry out to God because he separates you? Why is that? I always look at it this way. All of our lives, when we didn't love the Lord, it's kind of like an atheist today or whatever they call themselves that. Every man knows there's a God. He's basically saying you're growing up. Is it God? You're a party poop. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. I, I don't want to answer to you. You're a party poop. I want to do my things. And maybe when I'm old, I'll, I'll come to you, but just leave me alone. And you know the punishment God gives us for our sin? It's not a Mack truck or a Peterbilt on the highway at 80 miles an hour. That's not God's punishment. God's punishment for our sin is that when he makes up his mind that you're not going to give it up, he'll turn you over to it. He'll let you have your sin and it will devour you. Think of some examples, drug abuse, alcohol abuse. And, and don't get me wrong. The Bible's real clear. Alcohol in itself is not a sin. Methamphetamines themselves are not the sin. It's the drunkenness. It's the behavior that comes with the abuse of those things. The Bible's real clear. Alcohol is not a sin. It's drunkenness that is the sin. Why does God hate that? 
because it destroys his children. And I know from where I speak, my second son started drinking when he was 19 and continued to drink. And about four or five years ago, he got so bad, he was going through a literally a half a gallon of cheap whiskey every night. He was constantly drunk, fall down drunk. And he destroyed every relationship he ever had. His wife, his brother, and finally even me. He kept coming to me. I'd go get him and take him to the hospital, let him dry out. And the next morning, he'd get up, walk out of the hospital, and go home and start drinking again. He was determined, determined that he could not live without it. And that's why I hate alcohol. Alcohol, I still drink a little. I drink occasionally, but I, I'm afraid of it because it, it destroyed my son to the point that I, I prayed about it, and I prayed about it. And God finally revealed to me that, Dale, this is his sin and you can't deal with it. You're just making it worse. You're destroying the relationship. You have to lay him at my feet and trust me to deal with him. And God, was that hard. It's kind of like at first, I laid him at God's feet on the throne. Then I stood over in the corner watching and say, well, God, won't you try this? Uh, when are you going to do this? And he's saying, get out of my throne room. If you're going to give him to me, you give him to me. And I finally gave him to the Lord. I told Timmy that I hate this, but I will not watch you die. I knew, and his brother and I talked, we knew we'd have to bury him because he was going to kill himself. He was already, his body was racked with alcohol problems, liver and all this. He was going to die. So I finally turned him over and I told Timmy, I can have nothing to do with you as long as you drink. I cannot stand to watch you die. I didn't hear from Timmy for about six to eight months. Didn't hear anything from him. Not anything good at first. Well, after about eight months, I talked to his wife, his common-law wife, but Paige, his wife. And I said, I hate to ask, but how bad's Timmy? And she said he'd been sober for three months. It's been three years. Praise God. He just simply, with God's help, he never went to AA. I don't know how he did it on his own. He didn't do it. He did it through God. He put it down. And he's walked away from it. It's been at least three years he's been sober. It has nothing to do with me. Nothing to do with me. It has to do that when God finally got what I had and I gave it to him, he said, I'll deal with it. And he deals with your problems too. He deals with your sins. There's not a single one of us, if you examine your heart tonight, that you're not going to find sin. If you don't think there's any sin, you're just lying to yourself. There's sin. And I got news for you. When you identify that there's sin in your life and you know God knows it's sin, then it's time to give it to him. Can you just give it up on your own? You cannot. I can accomplish nothing on my own, but with God, all things are possible. There's nothing in your lives, past, present, or future that God can't deal with. And he will deal with it as long as you love him. And you already, if you've, if you've accepted his, his son as your savior, that's already done. Joni asked me this question, can I lose my salvation? Jesus himself told the father in reference to his disciples that father, I've lost none of them. I hold them in my hand and I've lost none of them. And no man can take them out of my hand. The moment that you accepted Christ, you entered God's hand. You entered the, you entered the hand of Jesus Christ. You're in his hand. And he says, no man can remove him. Are you man? You're of man. Are you female or male? That makes you man. That includes you. You cannot remove yourself from God's hand once you accept him. Praise God, because I sure would try. It's, it's done. Remember, it's religion of done. You're saved and you're saved forever. The question is, how are you going to use that? How are you going to live the rest of your life? You're not going to be perfect, but he wants you to live a life of doing what? really it's done all he wants you to do is love him is that little boy that little child i saw in your in howard in, in your behind you all ago it wasn't howard who was it it was so was it chris who had the child all ago was it chris that little boy that i saw that unconditional love you'll always love him no matter what he does he'll always be yours and god feels that same way about you you just can't understand how much he loves you and no matter what happens in the future, he's going to love you and your sins are forgiven and you can't lose that salvation. 
is accepting being saved. Yes. But again, what's it mean to be saved? Is that you believe, you choose to believe that Jesus was the son of God and that he died for your sins because nobody else could and that he's alive today at the right hand of God and he's even interceding for you when you have problems. That is the acceptance of Christ as your savior. And once you choose to say that and you say it to him, it's done. You can't lose it. You can't lose it. Question is, what are you going to do with it? I say, all you got to do is love him. That's all he wants you to do is love him. And if you like a child loves your, as you love that little boy, as you love your father and your mother, or if you had them, what somebody was represented that in your family, someone that took care of you, you love them so much when you're little, all you wanted to do is please them. Ever had a puppy? It's all they want to do is please you. That's love. That's all Jesus wants you to do is to love him. And to love him means that you come to him, that you have a relationship with him. And what's a relationship mean? We all have had problems with relationship. Relationship is communication. It's constant. I go to bed every night. I have my problems. And I, I take them to the Lord. I say, Lord, I, I don't know what to do. It's either an individual, grandchild, or something. I don't know what to do. Financial reasons or whatever. And all he asked me to do is said, Dale, I love you. Leave it to me. Trust me. Leave you with this thought. If you're saved and you accepted Christ as your Savior, when you die, your software, the real you, will instantly be with him. Yes, that's the most valuable thing you have in your life, right? So right. if you can trust God with your soul, with your software, your spirit, he comes to you in the morning and say, can you trust me with today? Can you trust me with your children? Can you trust me with your problems? Can you trust me with your addictions? Can you trust me with the ones you love? The most valuable thing you have as a Christian you know, God is going to have me he, he, when I die, I'll be with him. So he's saying, why can't you trust me with the other issues? They're not eternal. They're momentary. They don't last for long. Right. Not a I, single man ever born on this earth got out of here alive, except Jesus himself. Okay. Any questions I, before I go on all that? Uh, I, I was saved at 12 years old and uh, I didn't, I always question my being saved ever since then but i mean uh i'm a, i'm an ex uh, methadone and xanax user so uh i overdosed twice i went to heaven twice i would like to share my story at one time well, i know if, for if, you this, if this if these come, this keeps coming on i'd love to share my story i tried well, to share it on i tried i tried to uh, share it at, at drug class and it and they kind of cut me off and it was just kind of weird so it was the but wrong I, wrong place, wrong time. We'll, exactly. have, we'll have some sharing the next time we get together. So you think about I, it next time we get together. If you want to share something, we'll have some time to share that. One thing I didn't, that I, I told you part of last week, if you were here, about that the man that I met at business that wanted me to sit down because he knew there was problems in my life. And he asked me if I read the Bible and I, he told me that I had to start reading the Bible, studying the work. But that wasn't the, the meat of the story. He said, what's going on, Dale? He said, I've got problems at home. My wife and I, we fight, we struggle, uh, kid problems, money problems. Does that sound familiar to any of you? All these issues. And I said, I just, it just isn't the same. It didn't live in what it was like when we first met. It isn't the same. And he asked me a question. He said, have you ever, do you pray for your wife? I said, really? Not really. Maybe occasionally. And he said, I want you to commit to six weeks. When you get up in the morning or when you go to bed at night, pray for your wife, pray for her safety, pray for her peace of mind, pray for her, her joy, pray for her to feel loved, pray for her contentment, pray for her like you love her, like you should have pray for her every day for six weeks. And I committed to that. And I started praying for my wife. I prayed for her every day. I didn't say anything to her. Months and months later, I commented to her that somebody asked me to pray for you for six weeks, and I did so. And I see a change in our relationship. I see a change in our marriage, how much better it's been. And you know what she told me? So true. She said, Dale, I, my wife, said, I didn't change. 
you did. <laughs> Prayer for your wife changed you into the husband that you should be. So if you pray for her, he'll come first to change you. And you know that thing about wives being uh, submissive to her husbands? If you love the wife the way God wants you to love them and you consider every decision on how it's going to affect her and you get her in the loop on everything that you do and you're a godly man and you love the Lord and you pray with her and you share with her, I got news for you. She won't have any problems being submissive to you as long as it's right. As long as what you want to do is right and it's not darkness, it's light. If you want to do something that's not right, don't expect her to be submissive if she's a good Christian too. She's going to, she's going to see darkness and light and she's not going to run with you into the darkness. She's going to stay in the light. But as long as you're in the light, you'll never have a problem with her being submissive because she's going to feel loved. And how does she feel loved? Because you're praying for her. God will come and change your heart. Any questions? So I, can, I can talk all night. Something caveat off of that. Uh, there's the, a phrase that I was told a while back is that if you, uh, if, if, if God, he's not just going to give you courage. I'd say that again. It broke up on my uh, to present you with an to break. Uh, Dixon is on, but he's got no. No video. Yeah, you've locked it But again, next week, this old man's taking his wife for a vacation for the first time in two years. So we'll be I'll be gone next week. I'll talk to Chris. Chris goes on vacation. According to their calendar, they go on vacation 17th. Yeah, the following week. The following week. But next week. I don't know. They have they have their training zooms that they've got to do. It's possible we can meet next week, but talk to Chris about that. Yeah. And uh, one of those things you talked about is that if you got something you want to share, it's time to share it. Yeah, I it's think uh, I think Chris's uh, phone died because he just like dropped off the face of the earth, uh, Gimmins. So I think his phone just died. <laughs> so, but he's the one that wants to share a story. Well, we need to, we'll make time for him next week. And any of you, that if you want to share something, you've got to feel comfortable doing that. It's like any of these meetings we go to. You've got to feel comfortable. You're not going to be judged. What you're going to find out is that everybody listening to you has been in similar or worse situations. There's not a righteous man among us or a righteous woman. There's no such critter. Uh, we are all sinners and we continue to sin. And that's why that constant communication because the Bible, the word scriptures say, if I will confess my sins, Jesus will be faithful to forgive me and to cleanse me of that sin. No matter, it didn't give any limitations, whatever the sin may be. And there's all kinds of sin, whether it's sexual perversion, pornography, you name it, drugs, whatever. There's no sin that God can't deal with. But I got news for you. You can't deal with them by yourself. How, how many times have you tried in the past and not been able to deal with it? You need help. And the best help is Jesus himself. Hey, Papa, what Andrew was trying to say is he was taught, told that if you pray to God for courage, he's not going to hand it to you. You're going to wake or you're not going to wake up with courage. She's going to present an opportunity for you to be courageous. Oh, that's very true. Again, but again, so many of the things that God wants to do for you is a process to conform you into what he wants you to be, which is the image of his own son. Remind me next week, and I'll explain what the image of his own son means, what the Old Testament says about that. Uh, it has to do with gold. It won't be next week. It'll be the following week. Following yes. week. I'll be gone next week, but we'll work it out. Hey, it's been a pleasure to me. I feel so fortunate that I have someone to share my love with and my faith with, and I hope that you gain something from it. And that you come back and we can share our lives together. All right. And if you have somebody else in your life that you want to be involved in this, uh, Chris will be more than glad to send them a Zoom invitation. I don't care how many's here. What the Bible says, if two or more are gathered together, so is the Lord. Well, if it's just one of you and me, the Lord's there. So the, the more the merrier, or it doesn't matter about the numbers. Numbers mean nothing. Because whoever shows up, God preordained and predestined to be here. I got people. 
I bring them all. Thank you. Hey, hey, you're welcome. How many y'all know? What, how many y'all know what Bible stands for? Tell us, Chris. It's the basic instructions before leaving Earth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's I've never heard that before. No. That's my first time. <laughs> because that, the Bible is nothing but an instruction manual on how we need to live our lives. It's the only instruction manual that comes with you when you're born. Unfortunately, most parents don't know how to read it. And there's no pictures. <laughs> and there's no pictures, unfortunately. There's no, there's no videos. There's no <clears throat> Zoom. There's <clears throat> no YouTube. Uh, I guess there is now, but a lot of YouTube <laughs> on that. I bet That's if you Google cool. how to change a diaper, you'll be on there. That's all I've got, folks. Enjoyed it and hope to see Thank you, you soon. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Pray for our friends. Oh, oh uh, yeah. Everybody, uh, go ahead and pray for uh, Howard and uh, let's, Kim. Let's close Prince. in prayer as we should before, and we'll do that. Father, thank, thank you. you again for the opportunity <coughs> to join together as Christians of like mind who all they want is to know you and to grow with you and to have a deeper relationship. Father, you know the lady who has lost her son, who is dying, Father. It doesn't matter what her name is. You know her intimately, and you know her son intimately. I ask in Jesus' name, Yeshua Amashia, that you make a purpose out of this terrible incident, and that you make it worthwhile, and that you make miracles come for it. Father, I ask that you bless everyone that's here and to answer their prayers in your time and in your perfect way. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank <laughs> amen, you. brothers, sisters. But just to let you know, uh, if you all could say a prayer for uh, uh, Kim's and Howard's friend, her son, uh, friend's son was in a motor yes. vehicle accident, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. Uh, he's on life support right now. There's no yeah. brain activity. Yeah. And yeah. they have other friends that have... Need organ donations. That have needed organ donations, and somebody might end up be getting both of his kidneys yeah. into them. So it's bittersweet, but if y'all keep them in your prayers, you know, the more the merrier. It makes everybody. Bear in mind, you can tell her there are programs out there that even if those organs don't match the person you have in mind, they can take those organs and give it to someone else who has organs, someone else's organs that they can donate. Uh, they right. can share yeah, right. with. Exactly. Yes. Yes. And Howard, if your friend ever needs to talk or whatever, have her call. We'll talk to her. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. No Very problem. nice. No problem. Thank All you, right. everyone. I, I I really appreciate everybody. Thank you. Yes, sir. You have a good have one. Have a great right? vacation. <laughs> uh, it'll it'll just be different. All I've been doing for years, hanging around the house, so it'll be nice. <laughs> <to church. laughs> He's been hoeing That's in the garden. Here. He's been hoeing in the garden. Yeah, I've been a hoer for a long time. I, I haven't been able to practice my hoeing lately because it's been so wet. I wish I wish that I planted rice this time instead of other plants. Hey, 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 uh, hey, Kevin, do you need a Bible, or do you want a Bible? I've got numerous Bibles. That's what I was asking. See if he wanted a Bible. Uh, I could use one. Okay, I'll find you one. I'll find you one that's written in a translation or a, that's easier to read. And I might, I might be able to find you one where I've got everything highlighted. Doesn't make any difference, but I've got numerous Bibles. I'd love for you to have one. I appreciate okay. that. Good night, folks. Enjoyed it. Good night. All right. Love y'all. Hey, thank you for your time. Y'all. Thank, thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Cheers, guys. Thanks. Thank you, sir.